Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Successful Mind Podcast, where David and I are talking about identities. This is especially important as we start 2023, that your identity fits where you want to go with your life this year. Give it a listen and let us know what you think. Successful people learn how to make their minds work for them. We are Life Is Now, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hi, David. Hi, Steph. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How's you doing? Great. Um, I want to bring up something that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago um, with a, a client that we were we were coaching with, and I think that um, it's something that most entrepreneurs, if not all entrepreneurs, um, deal with once they've hit a, se- a specific level of success. Okay, and, and and that level is different for for everyone. But let me explain what I'm talking about so you you can track what I'm, what I'm saying here. Right. So yeah. a couple of weeks ago, um, we did a, a, a mastermind with a group of our ideal clients. And in that group was an attorney. She was um, very successful. She's on point to close out the year at, at a million dollars, which is, you know, a fantastic accomplishment for a small law firm. And the question that we posed the group was, you know, what is one obstacle or what, what is one thing you want us to like, how can we best support you basically? Like what's one thing that, that we could really help you help you with that could change, could change things in your business. And it was interesting because she came with, you know, I'm having a hard time seeing how I can expand. But part of the problem was, is that she she was still in the doing of her business, right? She felt like she needed to be the one to do all the sales. Um, she was really in the weeds in yeah. her business and she yeah. was working really hard. And if you're in the weeds in your business, it's actually really hard for you to hit the million dollar mark. And she had done that, but she was feeling really exhausted and she didn't know what to do next. She knew that she, she, she told us she didn't have a plan, but when I asked her to kind of describe what needs to happen for her to hit this next like goal marker, she listed off all the things that needed to happen. Right. So she actually had the plan. She was in resistance to letting go of things yeah. and to changing things in her business that would allow her to implement the plan. And I think that that's a really common thing for a lot of people. We I, get that a lot of time, yeah. a lot of times, right? Well, we'll be sitting across from someone and they'll say, I want clarity of a plan. And then we'll get actually get into the conversation. I'll ask about three questions, write down everything. And it actually turns out that they know what the plan is. So the problem isn't the lack of plan. The problem is they're in resistance to doing something that's going to lead them to actually implementing the plan. Yeah. Right. Does this make sense? Yeah, it does. It makes sense. And it's, and the interesting thing about it is that it's an identity issue based on value presuppositions of the way that they think about themselves. Okay. So that was a, that was a million dollar statement. I think you're going to need to explain yourself a little bit here for our, for well, our listeners. Yeah. So when, when, whenever we run into this, I think about the idea that how how does an individual see themselves 
in their in their life like who do they who do they actually think that they are what do they think that they're doing and then yet they have this vision to go someplace different and there's a disconnect in between the two very often their approach is to work harder right to push more to strive more to keep doing more and more and more and it and it's i think that that is like this unconscious idea that we've gotten when things aren't going right the answer is to work harder if it's not coming fast enough the answer is to work harder and they don't even realize that they see themselves as basically a hard worker like that's their that's the ethic the value ethic that i was saying that is that begins to form their identity it's not that they don't think that they're smart or clever or they could do different things but when they're going after something that's unknown um their go-to is to be this person that they have been raised to be uh that is not in alignment with what they want in life but they don't know that right well in this instance you know just to just to provide some like um so like a, a tangible example of this you know in having this conversation with her it came out that she said i think the problem is is that i still see myself as this beginning business owner that's scraping things together and you know is is still living on a shoestring budget yeah i don't see myself as a multi-million dollar right firm owner so right. is that is that what you're talking about here yeah like, well it is well yes yeah. so so how does a person in in seeing themselves that way succeed? They've got to struggle and strive for every single, every single thing that they're getting on a consistent basis, right? So the um, I'm trying to think where I was going with that with that thought. It the 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 idea of their identity comes from what they have been trained to value in life. So. What I think is interesting about what you're saying is that here's the way this person saw themselves, but underneath that, what value are they actually trying to get fulfilled every day? What need is being met underneath of that, right? Yeah. That's how they see the world, as you were as you were explaining, but they see the world that way because it's meeting some kind of a need for them. And the question is, if you're gonna if you're gonna change your identity, you have to change what that need is. And you have to consciously understand how you're going to get it met in some different way, right? And first of all, you have to look at whether it's a healthy need or an unhealthy need, which is something completely different. But then it has to be redirected in a way that you see yourself differently. Because if I am, if I'm like running everything on a shoestring and I'm kind of scrambling every day, um, that is that is a vision that I see. I through myself, I see the world through that. Does that make sense? Am I making yeah, everything sense? everything feels hard, right? Everything and, feels hard. And I think if you dig dig into and under what this is, it really is a core wound of if I'm not being this person, then I'm not worthy of the success that I want. I don't deserve the things that I want. I'm, you know what I mean? It it goes back to it goes straight back to your core wound. Yes. It goes back to your core wound. I would agree with that. This happened again just just a gosh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, um, where we had, we were meeting with, um, funny enough, it was another law firm, um, but this person wasn't actually an attorney. She 
was the the law she ran the law firm so she was basically the COO of all things in the firm and she was running herself ragged first one in the office every day last one to leave every night no clear boundaries around work right would constantly let work get in the way of of her personal life and what it boiled down to is that she didn't want to be seen as a bad person right if mm-hmm. if i'm not working harder than my employees then i'm not good enough or i'm a bad person or i'm you know I, i'm not worthy of the success that i desire so we form all of these rules about the things that we need to do that's based on false beliefs that we were given prior to the age of 7 yeah i mean it's really profound when you think about it yeah not a, yeah, it is. And if you look, if you look at people that have become uber successful in life, especially in something where they're considered one of the greatest at what they do, if you study their life, there's these major identity transformations that they make along the way. Um, you mentioned before this podcast we were talking about Lagerfeld. Right. Yeah, you're a huge fan of Carl Lagerfeld. Yeah, he he's one of the most amazing people. And I, every time I say that, people look at me like, really? That's somebody that you're interested in? In a very big way. His life made a, a very big impression on me. Um, and it, it was where he came from and how he redesigned his identity to become the number one designer in the world and from a, so prolific for so long. Right. I mean, even there's even a lot of women that don't realize he's the mastermind behind Chanel. It was Coco Chanel in the early 1900s, but when did she die in the seven in 1970 or something? Yeah. Yeah. From then on, from from 1984, I think it was when they asked Lagerfeld to take over to revive Chanel. He was the mastermind behind it. He did all the designs, the set designs, the everything, advertising, the whole thing. It was all him that did it. And they told him, he used to say, he said that people would say, it's a dead company, it snores, go in another direction. That's what he, that's what he used to say, she snores, <laughs> right? She's, it's gone. But he saw something in it that he thought that he could bring to the table. And he was, he was also designing for three other companies plus his own brand uh, at the same time. And, you know, he... I think he was. I think he was born in Austria. I think, if I remember correctly, um, his father was the guy that brought Carnation Instant Milk to to Europe. Oh, right? seriously? That, yeah, that's what his father did. Oh, I had no idea. Uh, and he had a very stern, disciplined uh, mother. Very, very rigid mother. But he he kind of broke away at at an early age. He had a he had a. Uh, a real sense of fashion as a child. He was a, a great artist. His original idea was that he wanted to be a cartoonist, basically. He wanted to be an illustrator. That's what he, that's what he thought he was going to actually be in life. And it led him dip down this different direction. And um, there's a book. If anybody wants to kind of see the progression of what, this, of what he did, there's a book called A Beautiful Fall. Um, Is there a movie, too? Is there no, not that I'm, him? There's no documentary. Well, no, there's there's documentaries about Yves Saint Laurent that he's in, okay. right? So there's many movies about Eve that Carl is in because they were such close friends for yeah. many years, and then they became 
contenders against each other, but they loved each other deeply. Those two guys, um, their whole their whole career, even though in the end, you know, in the last twenty or so years of both of their lives, they were like bitter about different things. But they really did have a they really loved each other. But they but in the seventies, they were tight, tight, uh, very tight together, and they they lived this whole fashion thing in Europe, and you know how everything was kind of coming to to be to be this great fashion icon that we know it today they were in the beginnings of all of that and he worked for Dior and you know like all this stuff yeah so if you read the book if you read a beautiful fall in the book you see the transformations he's making and it's a very stark it's a very stark thing because the book's not just about him it's also about Eve it's about other people that were players and hangers on and the whole 70s thing that was going on. The whole on. culture. At that the whole time, culture. Right? The yeah. whole culture. But one of the distinct stories that gets pointed out in that book is Carl's transformation. The way that he, he didn't do drugs, um, he didn't drink. Um, he was a bodybuilder in the 70s. Like he was a buff dude. Like you, if you saw a picture of him, he was like really like at the pecs and the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. He traveled with weights. Yeah, and they thought that was crazy in the 70s. Like, this guy's nuts. He shaved his chest. And, like, they thought he was way out there yeah. wacky. And instead of, like, going out to the clubs at night, he would work out, you know. And then he went and he fell in love. He, so, so he was making this transformation. This transformation's taking place. He's trying to sculpt himself into the image of the person who is going to become this icon. But he's not thinking of it as far as an icon. He's like, this is who I need to be to be this. And then in the, in the 80s, when his, the love of his life, this, this gentleman uh, who was the love of his life died of AIDS, and he was crushed inside, and he put on all this weight. Like, he went up to, like, 300 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, but he was always a dandy, so he dressed, he dressed to do it. Like, to, he tried to cover the weight and everything, but he also dressed very elegantly, and this is the whole this is the whole transition when he's actually working with Chanel and making this transition and this is who he was and you couldn't if you looked at him when he put the weight on versus what he was before that it's like looking at two completely different individuals and then at like I think it was it it was at 60 I think it was he 60 or 70 he might have been 70 in 2000 he lost all the weight so now he so he became a very thin man, and the reason that he did it was so that he could dress for the fashion of the time based on the clothes that he was in love with. So that there was this whole idea of instead of being in love with this person, he fell in love with clothes. Like he transferred that energy into mm-hmm. not a person, but his but his art, right? And um, he lost like a hundred and fifty pounds or whatever it was. Wow. And he had like a 28-inch waist, right? Here's a guy's a 300 pounds. He went down to a 28-inch waist, right? He's wearing salon clothes, and it's very slim, elegant look, and he had this kind of military um, 1930s German officer collar that he would wear that was kind of stiff, which kind of framed his face, and he wore his hair back in a ponytail, and it was all white, and he had the dark glasses on, and he became... Like he became this iconic figure just by looking at him. He was recognizable all over the world. One of the most recognizable faces. And he became an icon like throughout the United States and Japan and everything. But it was, it was always about 
becoming the image of what it was that he wanted to see in the world. And I remember he said something, because uh, I would listen to his interviews all the time. I just, he, he, was, he was a propagandist, but he created his own storyline about who he wanted to be. So he might be telling you something that's complete bullshit about him, but this is who, how he wanted you to see him. In in sense, this is what he's saying. This is how I now see myself. Forget about my past. My past doesn't. My past doesn't matter. So when they would ask him questions, um, like there's a very famous there's a very famous interview with uh, Charlie Rose that he did when he lost the weight um, in New York around 2000 2001, and. He he said, uh, Charlie said something to him about, well, what about all these different things in your past? He's like, my past is, my past doesn't matter. It's dead. Like, There's nothing about, I'm not my past. I don't think about my past. I don't spend any time in my past. I'm not that person that was, that was in my past. It's completely, it's completely dead. And then he, he would say like something like this in terms of remember how he actually, so I could quote him. He would, he would say, everybody thinks about the good old days. He says, they weren't very good and they're old. He said, so just let them go. He said, we tend to remember things differently than they actually were. He said in, their, in the past. He says, I, I live for now who I am right now, right? So he wouldn't even let anybody reference him in the image of who he was in the past. He would completely change the conversation and push forward whatever image he was trying to uh, portray in the, in the moment. I think that's an incredible skill i think there's I think a lot so of people too. that would love to be able to be like i don't want to talk about who i was back then it doesn't matter right like it, it has no it, it brings nothing to the future and who i want to be right? right right so basically what you're saying is that this guy reinvented himself like literally reinvented himself multiple times over in his, yes in his lifetime yes and i'll tell you something there's another person who's really interesting a number of years ago bt and i were reading the book about hefner hugh hefner mm -hmm. um the biography. What was that biography, T, of Hefner? Do you remember the name of it? Yeah, let me let me pull it up quick. Anyway, in this in this while well, he's looking for it, in this uh, biography, as you go through it, it takes you through Hefner since from a boy up until and right after this was this came out right after he died. I think he literally changed himself, reinvented himself seven times, major reinventions of himself throughout his life in order to be relevant. Through the time change, but the guy lived to what to be ninety or whatever, and he was successful yeah. Yeah. in his 20s. So all of those years that he was successful, him, the magazine, the look, the ideas, uh, the interpretation of how people viewed sexuality from going through the sexual revolution all the way up into the 2000s, like he changed who he was to fit the narrative of what it was for the day. He didn't get stuck in being this guy who he was the pipe smoking half in the 50s that was bringing celebrities onto his nightly television show. He completely changed everything about him, how he lived, and, what, and the look of everything in his business throughout all that time. And that's why it lasted so long. That's why it was so relevant up until the end. Yeah, and that book was called Mr. Playboy, Hugh Hefner and the American Dream. There you go. Yeah. There, you are, there you go. There you go. I think stories of reinvention are fascinating um, because I, I really, I really wonder, I really wonder if you can, if you can actually achieve your, the feeling of being most fulfilled, if you don't reinvent yourself 
at each level. I don't think you can. And I don't think you can sustain it long-term without reinventing yourself. And reinventing yourself is hard. Right? Why, why is it hard? Well, because I think, I think at least what I, at least what I see in studying success and knowing my own self, right? Because I've reinvented myself, but I'm due for an upgrade, and I know how difficult that is based on where I am in my life right now. But here's the thing: I think people get very attached to the needs that they got met from the first creation, or the or the second. Uh, incarnation of who they made themselves to be, to be successful. But the problem is, is that times change, messages change, people get older, right? You can't be a 50-year-old in a 20-year-old mentality, right? When you were 20, it was sexy, but it's not sexy when you're 50. Being 20 when you're 50 is not sexy, right? It's not attractive. It's not attractive in business. It's not attractive in maturity. It's like, there's none of that that, that crosses over. So if a person is astute to success in the in whatever age they enter into this change for their life, they must become aware that they have to start to become the thing that they want they want to acquire, right? They need to be a representative of that, or they have to make something a representative. That's a, that's another thing that that does work for some people, is they hang out in the back, but they make something else the representation of what it is that they're that they're trying to make. But if we're talking about just the individual alone, so they go into that, they make those, they make those very hard changes. Um, they're hard because in your childhood, you, that it was shaped, who you were became shaped. You altered your behavior. You altered who you were in order to get your needs met primarily because other people were in control of your life. Right. So you weren't really developing your own authenticity at that time. Then in your 20s and 30s, that might start showing up. Like you realize that you're playing a game. You realize the world's not what you thought, thought it was. And you start you start changing. Like, let me change some things about myself. Like, I'm tired of playing this, whatever it was that I was in order to get this. And I start owning that role and I start beginning um, to change it. So as that takes place, you go through the emotional stress of letting go of whatever it is that you're connected to. Right, it's the old Buddha thing. Like your attachments are is, is are the cause of your suffering. Well, in yeah. in that case, he's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. In that sense, because it's like what what is it that I'm attached to? Very often, what I got from it died five years ago. I'm not getting, but I can't let go of it because I'm I'm almost in this hope strategy. Like I'll can I'll get it again at some point, but it's gone. Yeah. It's dead and gone. And that's where. That whole thing uh, that Lagerfeld said, like, she snores, like, she's dead and gone, man. Like, it's way, way, way gone. He had to figure out a way to make that relevant 20 years after she died in a completely different world. So I know one of the things that, that people struggle with when they're in this place, and I think this is probably where um, the, the attorney that I, that I first mentioned at the beginning of this podcast was, a lot of people who transition from being in a job to being an entrepreneur, which a lot of people do, they start out in a job. So they start off with an employee mentality. They transition into creating a business, which requires a completely different operating system yeah. than an employee mindset, right? So 
you have to adopt an entrepreneurial mindset, which is a big change. It's a big shift, especially in terms of who you need to be as a leader to manage people, how can, you see well, can yourself. You, can you, so, yeah. so, so explain this, Steph. What is the, the biggest difference that you see between an employee mindset and an entrepreneurial mindset? Could you put that in some kind of an image? God, so there's that- so many, there's so many differences, right? I mean, and I went through this because I started out the first seven years of my, my first career. Well, I taught for seven, nine, seven years. I taught elementary school, well, elementary middle school for seven years. My employee mindset was I show up, I get a check, right? Like, yeah. I have a job. I'm I'm pretty secure. Like it's not easy to fire to fire a teacher. Now, my work ethic is I'm going to show up and and do a great job. And I was always I was always like, what else can I do? What can we create? How can we make this more fun? How can we how can we get better at doing what we're doing? But the the employee mentality is I wasn't thinking about where the money was coming from. Right. I wasn't thinking about I wasn't worried about um, you know, P&L statements and payroll tax and any of those, I didn't, I, there wasn't any risk that I was assuming in owning a business. I was just, I knew that I had a job to do and that I was expected to do it that to my best ability. And I showed up and I did my job and I got a paycheck, right? So, so what you, what was important to you every day was very different. Like money wasn't even going through your mind as to how, how you're going to earn money, right? Never. It was, and, and there was never a question like, am I going to get paid this month right. or this week? We got paid once a month as teachers, right? So like, you had to manage that. We had to manage it. It was meager. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I think when I left teaching, I think I was making $36,000 a year. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't much, but it was always, I could count on it to be there. Like it was always that like, we never thought, Oh God, how are we going to, how are we going to make our mortgage payment this month? Right. You step out and own your own business and suddenly you have a whole different you need to adopt a whole different operating system in terms of how you think, because if your business isn't making money, you don't get paid. Like you have to think completely differently and you have to think on multiple levels. You have to think, how can I give value to my, the people that I'm selling this product or service to? You have to be thinking, how can I make sure that money is coming in every single month so that I can pay myself, I can pay my team, I can make payroll, I can set aside quarterly taxes. Yeah. I don't ever have to think about how I was going to pay taxes when I was an employee. Right. So there the priorities were, completely shift. Your priorities completely shift. And it's a, it's a total overhaul of who you need to be as a, um, as a, as a person, as a human being, right? Like you're constantly looking at, at, you know, marketing strategies. You're constantly thinking, how can we be doing things better? You're constantly looking at where's the next sale going to come from? How can I get in front of more leads? What do I need to do to put myself in front of a, a larger audience? Like, well, you know what else is significant about this? And I'm listening to you talk about, talk about this. So when, when you were a school teacher, right? What need were you getting met when you would teach every day? Oh, so many needs. I think that's probably why I went into teaching, honestly. I mean, Part of it is I'm innate a teacher. Like I, I, I love teaching. Like yeah, teach well, you're an amazing teacher. Teach, that's for team, sure. Right, that right? goes without saying. But, but what was, need? Um, I think the need is probably good enough. Like I was making a difference in these kids' lives, yeah. and that made me feel good about myself. When very, very little made me feel good about myself. Um, 
Was there anything about appreciation that you got from the kids, the parents? Oh yeah, appreciation. Anybody? Appreciation is a precursor to good enough. Okay, right? I know I'm good enough because I'm getting appreciation. Yeah. You know, so here's I'm, so here's why I'm bringing this up. So the thing, let's think about this for a second okay. for the and for you folks that are listening. And 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 me too. Like so, I was in a job and I thrived off the appreciation that I got for being so good when I worked at the petroleum company. And they had never seen anything like me, and I was constantly getting at, getting accolades. That fed me like the most addictive drug possible, right? So now, switch this. We go into our own business. The first thing that we have to do is learn how to make sales. And it's massive rejection. <laughs> it's massive rejection. It is. is it not? Yeah. Like when you, it's, it's rejection day in, day out yes. until you master this skill. It's always more no's. Even when you master the skill, it's more no's than yes. Yeah, in right. In most instances, right? Exactly. Like, so, so for the person, so he, here's the thing. I go from being this really great employee, right, where everybody's patting me on the head going, good job, good job, good job. I feel secure in my, in, my, in my job because I'm getting patted on the head saying, good job, good job, good job. Now I'm seeing something different. I want to get out. I'm not completely satisfied. I go into business, and the first thing that I have to learn is how to sell, and every, nobody's saying good job anymore, right? And... Th- I have to raise money. So the survival part is on the line. I have to figure out how do I change my identity from a good, you know, like you're the good employee, you know, dutiful, loyal, you're the good employee to I am just a crusher when it comes to business, right? I can make it happen. I can do things. I'm committed. I can make the sales. I'm an influencer. I can get all of those things moving in my way. And I have to move through this deep, thick trench of rejection in order to get to the confidence on the other side to be that person. Well, it pushes against all your subconscious needs, like your need to be liked, your need to be in control, your need to, like, I mean, being in your business, the need to be liked, that needs to be its own podcast, by the way. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should do that one next. Um, the, the need to be liked can completely bring a business to its knees, Right. Because the way most people get appreciation is they're liked. Oh, you're a nice person. I'm going to appreciate you. Uh-huh. Right? And that, that need then becomes your Achilles heel as a business owner. Yeah. Right? Whereas a teacher, the need to be liked was, oh, she's the nicest teacher. You know, she cares the most. She's, you know, she's the most willing to work with our, with our special needs child and, and you know, go the extra mile. It, it, it's just a completely different. Yeah. It's not even in the same universe right. as and I, and being I think, an entrepreneur. I agree. And I think that's why it makes it so difficult. I think a person has to actually be very conscious about what is the next step that they're trying to get to and and really be conscious of I'm changing me and I'm going through this difficult thing and I'm letting go of who I was and I'm trying to embrace something different because I really want to get to the other side of something. Because if you're not conscious about that, I mean... Well, let's look at what we see because we work with people in business every day. Mm -hmm. The younger people, what I mean by uh, uh, early entrepreneurs, not necessarily youth, uh, but people that are just starting out of business, newer businesses. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Uh, One, it's there. They do. There's almost a subconscious avoidance, right? A procrastination. They don't know why they're not focused on what they're doing. And one of the questions that we get frequently that, that tells you that is why is my income up and down? 
Well, it's up and down because you only focus on sales when you know you're about to bottom out, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. And things are going to shit yeah. and you need to get moving. So you, so you focus for a brief period of time, but it's so damn stressful for you to do it. You're exhausted by the time you make the last buck that you need to pay your bills. And then for two weeks, you don't do shit. And now you've created this big gap. Because the pressure's off. Because the pressure's off. And you're, you're like, ah, oh, pressure's off. And then you're right back to the same cycle. Right. It's rampant. That, that's an epidemic in the entrepreneurial world, especially with new business owners, is this up and down roller coaster because they, they put their foot on the gas and take their foot off the gas and they don't understand why yeah. they're doing it. Right? Yep. They don't understand why for sure. So if someone is, if someone's identifying with what we're, what we're talking about and they know it's time for an upgraded identity, how do they go about doing that? I mean, I'm trying to think of how I did that and I would look for someone that I, um, that I looked up to, right. That, that, well, first I hired a coach. Right. Cause I didn't know what an entrepreneur, like I was completely an unconscious competent when I was first in my business. Right. I just did what I needed to do because I know that I knew that I needed to replace my, my teacher income. Right. It was just a must. Right. I just, I, I actually just did make the sales because I had to, like, yep. we didn't have a safety net. We didn't have anything to fall back on. But then, I mean, I've had multiple identity changes, right? I'm oh, me too. a school teacher and then I was my own business owner. I was a holistic nutritionist and had my own practice. And then I started working for you and I've had many, many roles in this company, whereas now I'm, I'm CEO, right? And for me, in terms of stepping into the CEO role, I really looked at who are other female CEOs out there and what do they, what do they do and what do they look like and what are their standards and then I took what resonated with me and I let the rest go. Yeah. Is that, is that generally how this change is yeah. made? Well, I mean, or? look, at let's, so the way that I did it when I was on the forklift was looking at somebody else that I believed had qualities that I didn't have that were keeping me stuck. But I didn't even know that for sure. It was just like a suggestion yeah. in my mind. And finding three things that were different about this person and again, I did not understand that I was doing this, changing my identity by acting like I love what I did, doing everything the best of my ability, and treating people with total respect. That's a complete identity change, right? And I started it the next day after I got the idea. But the but the the impact of it was profound. And I didn't even have anybody guiding me at that point. That was the that was really the first conscious one that I did. But what's so interesting about it is that the result that it brings on the other side of doing that is very impactful. Excuse me. It seems to be very impactful as far as uh, kind of like. Um, is it that analogy where you move the needle two degrees and you end up like so far apart from like. This right. Isn't, we're not talking about yeah. major, major different no. actions. No, it's we're also the little hinges, small, swing big door type things. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about small changes that happen over time that begin to create new habits that build you into being the person you then become. Right. Yes. Yes. Like, yes. You know, this isn't one day you wake up and all of a sudden you change every single thing about you and your way of being, although right. I'm sure it can happen that way. But for most people, it happens in small increments over time. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that the opposite side is true, that getting stuck in that place happens in small increments. Oh, yeah. Over time, 
right? Because yes. t- t- people typically keep doing the thing that they think that worked uh, when actually things are changing very dramatically, but they're not noticing the changes. So they're so stuck in the identity that they created that eventually that worked for them right. that first got them out of it. But it, but I agree. I think that's it. And one of the here's something that's that's pretty interesting about this. As you begin to change your identity, you see the world through a completely different lens. That's my favorite thing about it. It's right? totally it's totally different. Yeah. That's my favorite thing about it is that you you see things that you didn't see being the old person that you were. This is su- such the perfect conversation for the beginning of 2023. It is. Like I love that we're having this conversation right now because a lot of people, you know, last week set their new year's resolutions. Right. Right? And they didn't set it from a place of who do I want to be at the end of the year? Like who do I who do I really want to be? Yep. They think they said what am I going to what are these things that I'm going to do? Yeah. Right? Not exactly. not who do I want to be and then reverse engineering that into what are the changes that I'm going to make sequentially over the course of the year to get me to being that person. Right. Um because you can start over at any time. And I would say if your business has been at the same level for the last couple of years, chances are the reason is because you need an you need an identity upgrade. Yes. There's something going on in your subconscious mind. There's a value that that you're having a conflict with. There's some kind of subconscious self-sabotage that's causing you to not see the upgrade that you need. That's where you need to look. It's not about creating a new marketing strategy. It's not about hiring a different person. It's not like it's if you are the cause of everything in your life and your business has been, you know, either same, gone backwards or even minimal growth for the last couple of years, then I, I bet money that it's a, that it's, you need an identity upgrade. Yeah. I think I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and also there is the, the difficulty of having to, having to step again into the vulnerability of doing that in a public way where you could possibly be rejected for that. Right. That's very painful. It's very painful. And I think that some people will reject you because because it happens the other way around too. People see you as this person, and then you start to change, and they're like, "What the fuck? You're People not are being very uncomfortable. Very un- change. yeah, very uncomfortable. Yes. Like, how could you? You know, this is not who you are. You need to be. You need to be this, as if it's written in stone, as to way anybody is. So those people, the especially the ones that we talked about. What's fascinating about them is it wasn't just that their identity. Everything changed. Every single thing changed in their entire life. The way that they viewed life what they liked, what they didn't like, the houses that they lived in, the cars that they drove, the people that they hung around, like those were complete massive transformations in the way that they totally saw the world. And here's something else, and this is kind of like my last two cents on this, um, that impresses the hell out of me. And, and again, with Lagerfeld, it's the person that impressed me the most with this. I've never seen this as distinct as with that man on how he left his past behind and refused to let it come into his present. It was astounding how he did that. I mean, think of the freedom. Oh, Most people are prisoners of their past. Yes, they're haunted by it. They're haunted by their past. They're haunted by the guilt of the past, the shame of the past, past decisions, past mistakes, past, past everything. Think of the freedom he must have felt in just saying... I am not my past. I'm not my past. And it, it's not, it's true. Yeah. We're not our past. No, we're not. 
And I think it's testament to show that people can change. Like you have that ability to change into being whoever you want to be and doing whatever you want to do. So as you start <laughs> the new year, take a look at your identity. Is your identity serving your goal? Um, and if not, reach out for some help. Absolutely. You can't see what you can't see. Yeah. Yeah. You can contact us too. We'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Absolutely. About what you can do. Great podcast, David. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Hey, everyone. We just finished up an amazing podcast on identity. I got to say that this is one of the most fun ones that I've done in in some time. It, it taps into some things that I'm really interested in. I hope you're interested in it also. So let me make a request. Um, if you agree with it, if you have questions about it, if you're not sure, tell us what your opinion is. Uh, let us know, right? We really, we really want to know. And the other thing is that if you need help with this in some way in your business and you're stuck, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We'd be glad to have a conversation with you and see if there's something that we can do to help you along the line of your 2023 identity change. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want to know more, go to lifeisnowinc.com.